Hello and welcome to Brokenomics. Now, in this episode, we're going to be answering the questions to why house prices are so high. And to address this question, I've got back uh, Peter Laurie, Dan. friend of the show. Good yeah. to have you back. Thanks Thank so you. much to, to seeing you again. But also Ian Lush. Um, thank you very much for coming on, Ian. Now, you flagged this on a previous Brokenomics that you're you've got a sort of a thing into a, a property developers. Yeah, there's three of us run a small niche house builder, if you like. Um, Ian is obviously a co-director, and we've got a third partner as well. And I think we had a quick conversation about why house houses cost what they cost, and yes. why do they take so long to deliver. Uh, and we thought it might make some good material, so um, we're here to. And 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 you called in um, uh, Ian, who um, <laughs> is, is dealing with this on a daily basis. So thank Indeed. you very much for coming. Because because t- tell me about Law uh, Lawlish. 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 Lawlish is actually a combination of our surnames, if you look at it. So um, ah, okay, right. And uh, not that we came up with the name. I think it was actually Ian's wife came up with the name. Mm. Okay. We spent a few hours trying to work out the name, and uh, yeah, then his wife came up with the answer. So. so. You're, you're, so you're, but you're not a big time developer. You're not, you're not pumping out thousands. We're not. No, we're what you would call an SME builder. So anywhere between one and five hundred units. And you'll realise the relevance okay. of that when we come to talk about, okay. you know, what we're going to talk about. But um, right. yeah, we um, we both have had city careers, yeah. uh, and then post great financial crisis in two thousand and ten, I think it was Ian, we started this. Yeah. Um, and I think we've learned a lot along the way. We build sites of around anywhere between sort of three and ten houses um each individual site being about three to ten houses yeah three to ten houses um mostly on brownfield sites uh to be perfectly honest um we've developed a few garages uh we can talk about garage developments if you want that's something we have some expertise mm-hmm. in. yep so uh, not easy but uh normally good sites so um yeah so um we're a private house builder uh Simon as well, who's obviously can't be here today, but um, yeah. But but the, but the main take there being is that you you are in the development business, but you're not one of the majors, and therefore you're not carrying any water for them. So no. you, you you can have a poke at where you think they go wrong, and where they might un- sometimes unfairly be accused of things. Yeah, we can have a very broad conversation. Now we have experience as a small house builder. We don't have any experience as a large house builder, um, but we can certainly give you our our opinion on the whole process because we don't just buy land and sell it we buy land for us our company and we take it all the way through develop it and take it through to the sales process we do the whole thing and and so there before you you're exposed to all aspects of this you know the the, the planning rules around it the yeah. um the development rules all of the building rates yeah. all of that kind of stuff so you, yeah. you have a, you have a very clear sense in your mind as to why houses cost what Houses cost. Why, yeah, why they cost what they cost and why they take so long to deliver. Right. Um, Which I suppose is the key element, really. Is it's uh, certainly a major factor in why they cost what they cost. Um, and we have some ideas as well on how the whole process can be improved. And if we've, oh, got, that we have. we've got time, we can touch on those as well. Yeah. I mean, I think what the key message I think we want to leave people is this is a very, very misunderstood industry. Um, everyone thinks it's very profitable. Um, everyone sees headline numbers of what house prices cost, but most people in the population don't understand actually what goes into this, the costs and the amount of effort it takes to build a, a small site, even an individual unit takes a lot of effort. Yes. Um, so we'll, we'll dismiss some theory, uh, some sort of theories along the way, I guess. Okay. So, but before we get into the, the granular detail of, you know, individual properties and the process that you go through, what's, 
I, I know you've got some thoughts on the sort of the macro picture that, that's going mm. on here. What, what, where would you come at that? I, I mean, the conclusion is there's a massive supply-demand imbalance, yeah. and there has been for effectively going back to the Second World War. We've never built enough units in this country. Um, so clearly, when supply doesn't meet demand, the balancing item is price. Um, and we can look at some of the factors, if you like, going yes, through that. Yes, yeah, so, so I'm going to first, first sort of first piece of evidence. Um, we're going to look at something called the Lions Review, okay. which I hate doing this. Uh, there's two things I don't like about this review. Firstly, it's nearly 10 years old. I don't like using old data, but it was incredibly comprehensive review of the housing sector. Yeah. So it is worth looking at because the lessons that came from it are still relevant today. And, and this was a this was a Labour Party document, was it? Yeah, it was. Or, or they commissioned it, or something. Yeah, it was commissioned under Ed Miliband uh, in 2013, published in 2014, to look at the problems in the housing sector. So it's an old report. Don't like using. So old... We're not holding up Ed Miliband as being um, any sort of sage on this. The, the point is that yeah. they went away and they found a lot of underlying data. So irrespective of what we think about the conclusions or the political points that might have come out of this yeah the the date the underlying data was well there's just pages and pages it, of it it's quite revealing it is and and i think and we'll go on to make some assumptions about where that data has gone in the recent more recent past as well so yes it's politically sourced hate doing that yes it's old we can give you a bit of an update to it as well but it but it was incredibly comprehensive clearly ed Miliband didn't get his hands dirty doing this he, he employed the great and the good yeah. in the housing market um some of whom had obviously biases, but others yeah. were quite independent. And they produced this report. It's available on the internet. It's worth looking at. Um, so that was the Lions Review. Um, it came to two main conclusions, and they are quite politically motivated, if you like, because obviously Labour weren't in power at the time. Yes. But the two main conclusions is there was there's not enough land being brought forward for development. Um, I'd slightly debate that today. I think there is enough land out there, but that was one of their conclusions. And the other revealing conclusion they came to is there were too few houses being built. Well, it didn't take a rocket scientist and a year to work that one out. Um, but they went into some of the reasons why. And I think that's those what, are going to be the that's the interesting yeah. bit. Yeah. Now what you need to the one nugget of information you need to know is that the private sector in the UK does and has always produced roughly 80% of the housing stock uh and in, in any one year on average. Yeah. And the public sector produces the, the remaining 20%. So that's um, housing trusts and things like that. So what we're talking about here is 80%, the vast majority of the house building uh, industry producing units. The chart you've put up now, so the first bit of data that is revealing is the scale of the companies who are building houses. Now, this is 10 years old, but the trend it shows you, firstly, is there are fewer houses being built today than there were even 20 years ago. Um, and secondly, it's the blue uh, sectors you want to look at. The SME builders have been absolutely decimated in the last 20 years. So, so to get a handle on this, what we're looking at here is, is a line chart for the last um, 30, 30 years. Yeah. And it's color-coded with the darkest blue at the bottom being developers who produce under 100 houses a year, presumably. Yeah, so that would be the likes of us. Okay, and then you've got um, between 100 and 500, 500 and 2,000, over 2,000. So the red bit at the top is is the majors. Yeah. Now, looking back in the early part of the 80s uh, and throughout the 80s, what we're seeing is, is a lot of supplies coming from small developers. Not only a lot. 
50, actually the bulk, 57% yes. of the UK's houses in the 80s was produced by SME builders. Yes, it is a lot of them. And then the rest of it is kind of made up with the larger developers. And there is, there is, a, there is a notable place for the, for, the, for the majors in this picture. But during the 80s, they're, well, I don't know, 15, 20%, whatever that is. Some, something around that of, of the majors well if yeah. um, I mean if the smaller guys were producing it, at a peak it was 57% of the houses so the absolute majors okay. were producing you know 43% less than half of the private housing stock and, and then what we see as the years go by is the small developers just dwindle and dwindle away yeah and the, and the red part the majors they just sort of consume they're the pretty line. static yeah they're, pr- they're producing roughly and I'll come on to show you how many units the majors produce they're pretty static. No, they're, actually, that's that's a good point. It looks like they're consuming the line, but actually, the bit the, the bit for the majors is holding reasonably consistent, reasonably steady, and it's just the rest of it that's shrinking, it's collapsing. And you can okay, see, that's interesting. so the trend of small builders, the number of small builders, yeah. is down. And every time you have a recession, it's dramatically down. They, they never recover. Oh yes, two thousand eight. So, yeah, ninety two. Yeah, the big recessions well. wipe out small builders, and they never come back. And they were responsible in the 80s for more than half of the house building in this country. And we're going to discuss what the impact of that. And we're going to give you some real life anecdotes of what life is like as a small builder. Oh, good. So, so that's basically the number of small house builders in the last 20 years has fallen 75% in the UK. Yeah. So you've got this 57% of production that's fallen 75%. Yes. That is dramatic. Um, now, you can ask why, and we're going to go into detail, but I'll give you the headlines now. It's sort of the cost of building houses, the amount of regulation, the hassle of building houses, and the low returns. That's why the small building sector has been pretty much decimated. But as I say, we'll put some flesh on the bones of those, um, yeah. those comments. We'll discuss our experiences. Um, there was a more uh, recent, uh, there's, there's lots of surveys, but a more recent one that caught our eye was actually done earlier this year. And it came from Close Brothers, property finance um, people, the Home Builders Federation, so an independent organization of builders, and Travis Perkins, the big um, aggregates and supplier of house building products. And so it's not just us that's having a whinge about what's going wrong in the industry. When you look at some of the conclusions, which are on screen now, um, you know, 93% of small builders said that securing planning was a big problem. Um, you know, that's the hassle. For so what, what do we mean we're planning? This is, this is basically approval from your local council, is it? Uh, yeah, we'll come on to this. This is going to be a big part of what we discuss right. is it, the planning process. Um, okay. And 93%, I don't know who the other 7% were who didn't have a problem with planning, but 93% of small builders said it's a problem. Hmm. It's a dramatic problem um, and causes huge delays and lack of supply ultimately. Because um, we are looking at the supply side of the argument here at the moment. Yes. I'll come on to mar- demand in a minute. Um, a big one, I like the third bullet point down. This is something we've noticed a lot in the recent past, post-COVID. Uh, 76%, so three quarters of builders, think that staffing shortages in local authorities on the planning side is a big problem. Because you just can't do anything until you've got the man with a rubber stamp who... Yeah, yeah. Or the red, the red stamp that says you can go ahead. Says, yeah, yes, you can go ahead. Right. And we're going to discuss some of those delays, how long it takes, the cost of it. Um, how many snouts are in the trough on that one as well? It's always a good, uh, good right. thing to talk about. So you can see from this, we won't go into too much detail on this, but it's not just us in this podcast having a whinge. The whole industry is upset with the system effectively. Um, okay. So, yeah, 
Now, if we move on to the next chart, that just this just graphically shows. So this is SMEs. It shows you this 75% decline in builders, and this was up to 2013. Now, I haven't managed to find any um, up-to-date data on how many small builders are in the UK. But the trend is pretty clear on this. Mm. I mean, what, we, what we're seeing, I mean, this is, this is very similar to the earlier chart, but it's just a bit clearer. It's focused yeah. on the small one. So the small and medium-sized builders, um, good proportion of them back in the 80s, and, and the line has just gone down, straight and down. down and down. Yeah. I mean, it's gone from 12,000 companies in the 80s. Yep. I would guess today it's less than 2,500, um, which wouldn't be a problem if the, big boys, now, yeah. if the big boys had made up the difference. So if we can uh, flip on to the next chart. Now, this also comes from the Lions Review. What it shows, and remember it is slightly out of date, is the corporate activity amongst the big house builders in the UK. Uh, in the early part of the noughties. And as you can see, all the big boys started buying each other. So let's just pick the top line. Persimmon bought Beezer, uh, January 2001. And what you notice is the trend is when there's corporate activity, the combined house building capacity of the two parties to that activity drops in every instance. Yeah, in every, yeah, in every case. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking down this list. So, so George Wimpy bought uh, McAlpine. Yeah, and the, and the combined... Collectively, 14,500. Yeah, yeah. And that goes straight down to 12,000 12. after the deal. Yeah, so it's a 16% drop after the deal in combined house building capacity. But, then, but having bought that, George Wimpy then also by Lang. Yeah. And the collective entity there was producing 13,500, yeah. which goes down to 12. And then compound the problem, Taylor Woodrow bought George Wimpy. Yep. And the combined entity of what is there four I mean, companies yeah. then drops another nearly forty percent. So it went from twenty. So the the, the separate entities were combining twenty. We were producing twenty two thousand units, and they're down and to, it goes 13. to thirteen and a half. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so not only are the big boys not making up the difference for the loss of small house builders, yes. they're buying each other because it was an attractive thing to do at the time, and the combined capacity But, but the, these mergers are not resulting in a bigger beast. No. It's effectively just taking out a, ha, taking out a competitor. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, that is. Yeah. Um, so, yes. And you can see another thing I want to throw in, and we'll come back to this in a little while. I'll, I'll prove it with receipts. The second from bottom, when Barrett bought Wilson Bowden. Yeah. And this was January 2007. The combined entity produced 17,000 houses. Yep. yep. Last year, Barrett produced 17,000 houses. So their capacity has not gone up in the last 16 years. Yep. Despite the fact that before that deal that you talked about, it was... It was 20-odd thousand, yep. In every, every case, you know, the, 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 the big developers have just been eliminating competition but not increasing supply in supply, any way. Yeah. And so, I mean, we've had various politicians in the last number of years promise 300,000 houses a year. The UK has never built 300,000 houses in one year. Even back Ever. in the 80s and no, when it was... No, okay. not go back to the Second World War. Uh, even when they were throwing prefab houses up after the war, they still didn't produce 300,000 houses. Now, you've got to think... That wasn't a problem after the war because we didn't have the size of population we've got today. The population of the UK, I'm going to discuss that in a minute because we don't actually know what it is. Well, quite. But it was a lot less then than it is now. Uh, there yes. wasn't the demand side of the equation as well. They didn't have quite the open door policies that we have today either. Uh, Dan, I'm not getting into that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can if you want. But, um, 
So the supply conclusion, if you like, is there are drastically fewer smaller builders producing a lot less units, and there are fewer large builders producing less units. Okay. But, 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 but the criticism that you always get, um, the pushback you always get, is that the large developers are just hoarding yeah, okay. massive amounts of um, supply. Yeah. And they're just they're just sitting on it for some reason. Yeah. Okay. So, right. So this is where we get slightly technical and geeky. Which oh, yeah, right. uh, this is where I'm going to lose maybe some of the audience, but I'll try and make it as clear as I can. Yeah. What you have on the screen now is a section of last year's report and accounts from the UK's largest house builder, which is Barrett Developments. Okay. Um, and I refer to them building seventeen thousand units a year. And actually, you can see if you dissect these numbers, but it, it tells me there that they're sitting on eighty thousand. Um, sites, yeah, which is almost five years worth. Yeah, yeah, but you need to look at the technical definitions here. What they're actually sitting on is three years worth of land bank. So the key number there is the top line plots with detailed planning consent. Oh, okay, that so, is developable plots. So that's stuff that's actually gone through the local authority machine. The man with the big rubber stamp, the big red rubber stamp, has said yes. Okay, and anything before that can be just. It could be all over the place. Yes. It could be in any any sort of situation, but it can't be developed. So they're only actually sitting on three, three years. And actually, when you start to think about the process of allocating you know, men and resources and stuff, three yeah. years is... That, that sounds kind of reasonable. I don't think, and Ian can confirm it, have we ever developed a small site in three years from beginning no. of the process to the end? No. So you imagine if you're doing a thousand house site, how long that takes to get planning, uh, to build it, to yeah. sell it well, and just lining up all the you're know, getting yeah. your ducks in a row for yeah so yeah, i was sorry to, to interrupt Pete, just to throw in a comment there about that <clears throat> if you look at the entire time it takes to bring a piece of land forward from if you like zero to finished houses you could be six months to a year in discussion figuring out the deal then you've got to go through the whole planning process, which, depending on how complicated it actually becomes, could be a year, could be 18 months, could be two years, could be five years. Then you've got to build the site. So depending on how big it is, whether it's five houses or 50, you've got a time frame that goes with that. So it's quite reasonable to be thinking in terms of three to five years ahead at any one point for what you might be planning to do in the future. And the bigger companies, of course, will have this down to a fine art. Yeah. It's not really about anyone trying to bank lots of land in order to yeah. manipulate the market. It's about making sure your business has the wherewithal to deliver housing in the yeah, future. Yeah, I, I can't really criticise them for having a having a sort of a, a pipeline of three years. Absolutely, when, the, when what you're delivering is houses. But those bigger numbers that I'm seeing on there, I mean, there, there, there is a reference to a 93,000. Yeah. But is, what, is that largely options or something? Yeah. So that will be land that they're currently negotiating to buy, and probably under option or uh, some sort of okay. agreement. But, but this is very, if it's under option, it's very speculative. It's just like... It's pro yeah. because of the size of this company, it's probably Greenfield because they don't buy little garages in the middle of a village. They need yeah. somewhere they can put a thousand units. So this is where you see the big developments on the side of towns or whatever. Yeah. So there's lots of more considerations with greenfield land. So it's could, a longer process. Could there process. still be political local rows going? Oh, okay. could there? Right, <laughs> there will be. Um, there's no okay. doubt yeah, about that. There will be. So okay. what Barrett is showing here is you would, in, on the face of it, you would think, oh god, they've got ten years worth of supply. Mm. 
They don't own that. Yeah. They own three years of that they, land. They own the option to do a deal if there was a deal to be done. In the we future. don't know if there's a deal to be done. Done. And that can take years. Okay. Now, why do Barrett show this? And I'm not just picking on Barrett, but it, it's all the big boys. Well, they've got their shareholders to please as well. And of course, a report and accounts is an advertising document, a marketing yes. document at the end of the day. So they're trying to show a rosy picture, which is misleading slightly. Because um, okay. it's, it's not reality. It's This might happen in the next 10 years. Which gives rise to the allegation that they're sitting on, on loads of... Huge sites. land banks. Because yeah. Yeah, until, until man with big red stamp comes along and says, yes, you can't put a spade in the ground. You can't do anything. Yes. Um, and so a lot of this will be agricultural land that's been allocated for planning right. but isn't there yet. And they're all the same. Um, these land banks are not reality yet. But it, and you've got to think of a Barrett. I mean, Ian said three to five years to build a site. They employ huge workforce. Yes. They have to have work, uh, something to move on to. So they finish a site, they've got to have other things to move on to. Otherwise, they're making people redundant. So these are very well run machines that, you know, there's, it's a sausage machine ultimately. It just keeps moving. It's good. Um, so there's dramatically fewer um, of these small and medium developers. Yeah. The large builders are producing less. So that's the that's the supply side. What's yep. happening from the other side? Right, so the demand. Demand. This is where we sort of start speculating a bit on what the okay. size of the UK population is. Right, okay. So we think, well, the Office for National Statistics tell us that, yeah. and I've got some, uh, some dates here. In 1999, there were 58.6 million people in the country. Okay, possible. Yeah. 2009, there were 62.3 million people in the country. Okay. Well, that's reasonable progression. Through. Basically, any any number after 1997, I'm less inclined yeah. to trust the veracity of the... Uh, yeah. yeah, well, and I'll prove this to you now. So right. 2019, there were allegedly just under 67 million people yes, in doubt. the country. So there were 67 million people in 2019. If you look at the ONS's projection in 2021 right. for population growth, it was 67,530,759. That was what we were supposed to have in 2021. Yeah. In 2022, it was 67,844,183. So in the year 2022, the population was going to grow, yeah. according to the ONS projection, by 313,000 people. How many people did it actually grow? 606,000. Right. So there were net... That is net migration. Into, that's net migration only into the country. That doesn't also calculate population growth right. of the existing population. And, 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 that's, and that's only the ones that they actually capture as well. So Good point, even, well made. Even <laughs> assuming yeah. that their numbers are right, they're, they're badly underestimating the growth. Absolutely. But we know that these numbers aren't right. right. They were certainly high. I mean, I, yeah. I remember, um, was it? Um, food analysts, for example, food analysts talk about this. Sewage works analysts, they all point out the the, the amount going in and out of a human being basically is more than it is. Yeah, you more cannot than account size. for a population of this size. It has to be yeah. you know ten to twenty yeah. million larger than yeah. than these numbers. So if you take this, so six hundred thousand people came into the country yeah. last year. If you assume, and this is a hell of an assumption, they were all four person families, <laughs> which we know they weren't. It, images, just, it, images would suggest it's more <laughs> single young men than yeah, families yeah. of four, but okay. But 600,000 four-person families yes. is housing demand of 150,000 units last year, an increase. We needed 150,000. So, so, so on a very generous assumption yeah, but they're all yeah. four-person families, we, yeah. just for immigration, we needed just for that 150,000 houses. Yeah. 
How, how many do we actually produce? 191,000. Right. So it's, okay. it's 40,000 for the natural population. Yeah. And, and we know they're not all four-person families as well. Yes. Agreed. Yes. Right. Well, you can all agree on that. Yes. Um, so the production of houses, units, because they won't all be houses, some will be flats, in the UK doesn't satisfy population growth through immigration alone. So then you're ignoring the fact that more people live on their own today. You're ignoring the fact that the population is aging. So there's a natural need for more houses. You're ignoring second home ownership, which is an increasing trend. That in itself kind of tells you why demand is outstripping supply. But e even if the politicians got their wish and it was 300,000 houses a year. Still not enough. Yeah, that, that mm. even still that not enough. Be enough. Yeah. Scratches the surface. And, but, we, but we're not even getting that. And something we'll come back to after we include Ian more in the pod now is yep. I'm of the opinion, I suspect housing supply is going to drop because of some of the factors we talk about here. And this is why I said to you when we started, I want to talk about the banking industry as well. I think we're going to produce, we're never going to get to the 300,000. And actually, it's entirely possible that this year we don't produce the same, we'll be lower than we produced last year. Well, every data point you've given me so far shows that supply just goes down and demand just goes, goes up. up. Yeah. So yeah. The, the lines are yeah. heading away from each other yeah. quite fast. And we've seen what really worries me is every recession you have, you see a yes. drop in the number of houses. That's also been clear from this. Um, yeah. I mean, it's clear to me we're in recession now. Yes. So, Ian, um, mm. Pete just painted a fairly pessimistic picture from, from supply and demand. Help, yep. help us get into the knitting gritty. What? But give us a basic overview of the process of actually building a house. Okay. So you start by trying to identify a possible site that you could develop, which uh, in our experience is, well, just brings is, most, is mostly uh, brownfield. So existing uh, urban land, if you like. Yeah. Um, so having identified something that you think might be suitable for development, you've then got to negotiate with the owner in order to strike a deal to be able to buy that. And that's after you've checked that it's within the urban boundary. Therefore, it's likely to be developable. If it's outside the urban boundary, there's every chance that you wouldn't be able to develop it in the first place. So you've gone through a bit of, bit of thinking and a bit of process and some negotiation. And, if, and presumably if you, you've had to do search to make sure there's not pipes or electric cables. Of, or, or, yeah, a whole raft of research to make sure that uh, lots of different factors aren't going to be an immovable problem. Okay. Um, and, and one of the biggest they can, they can fall into lots of different categories from ecology yeah. to um, categorization of land to um, where it is to drainage, a whole raft of things that could be okay. an absolute brick wall that stops you okay. ever developing it. And this, something I'd throw in here as well, sorry to interrupt. No, go, um, go for it. There's still a certain amount of EU legislation which makes a lot of developable land undevelopable. I'm referring to triple SI here. Yeah. If you are within a certain distance of a, I'm going to get it wrong now. Site of special scientific interest. You can't develop. So within, if you're within 400 metres of the boundary of a triple SI categorised piece of land, yes. you can't build. You won't get residential permission. How, how often does that come up? Because I mean, you, It's you, all you, over you, the country. You go off and have a look, presumably at, at possible housing sites all the time. One of the first things we check is how close is it to the nearest triple SI. Oh, so they're all over the place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're lots of different sizes as well. 
because the definition is all about how valuable is the site scientifically. So, so how often do you? I'm trying to I'm trying to think through the ratio of how often somebody gets in touch and say I've got a bit of land I might be interested in selling. Do mm. you actually making an offer? Um, you could, for example, send out 200 letters yeah. across an area, uh, a county, and you might get two or three replies. If you're lucky, you might get one piece of land that becomes a deal. But that might take a year to get there. Okay. Well, with the process you've described, it sounds like it would take at least a year. Well, in terms of negotiating and figuring out whether it's developable, then you go to what are you going to put on it? So you're talking to architects and you're figuring out what you could actually get on the land. Then you're you're going through the whole planning process which is all about having a set of plans drawn up, the relevant statements that go with it, all the surveys that have to go into even lodging an application from ecology to drainage to land filtration tests and all the other things you have to do to submit an application. Then okay, the so council, we, haven't, we haven't even begun the process of talking no, to the local council yet. All we've no, done no. is checked, checked if I'm allowed to build uh, if there's not water mains or electricity, if there's not slow worms, there's not bats. There's not <laughs> yeah, exactly. All, trees. Those, all yeah. those things you can think of, you've got to tick all those off. Okay. And then, and you, you, of course, as part of your application, you're, you're putting in an ecological statement, which leads to a biodiversity mitigation plan. Sorry, a, a, a biodiversity Sorry. mitigation plan. <laughs> yeah. The, huh. Right. Let's, let's, let's just come back to that for a minute because right, okay, that's a whole fine. other subject. So there's a whole raft of things you do. Then you submit your plans. The council are then usually obliged to determine the application within eight weeks. But usually, not always, but let's, let's say in most instances, they're unable to determine in that time because they've got staff shortages or a whole raft of other things that councils have to do. Um, so you get to an appeal situation. And when you get to an appeal situation, you stand more chance of getting a grant, but you've got to wait probably eight months for it. Right. So, so then... So you go to the council and you, you, you've at this point done all of your box ticking. Yes. So do you present them with a big wad of paperwork? Effectively. Okay, which is we've checked all of those things and, and then they look at it and go, oh, they have checked them. Yep. Or do they go off and do their own checks? And they verify everything that you're telling them. So, for example, you submit a hydrological survey of the land you want to build on, which shows that it drains adequately and it's not going to flood, just as an example. So they will look at the report you've given them, which have, will have been done by a consultant who's qualified to actually do that work. Uh, and assuming they agree with it, yeah. then they tick that box and that piece of the equation. So, so there's done. a whole industry of consultants out there whose job it is to say this bit of land will drain and do that. Correct. And then there's, then there's presumably a Batman who does the, you know, there's no. Ecologists. Yes, ecologists. And, yep. Or the, arboriculturalists. Trees. So, yep. trees is so there's a whole army of these people out there who just go around looking at land. Yeah, giving people like you pieces of paper yeah. saying it's okay. But it's worse than that, Dan, because we'll have those people on our side, right? And the council have the same set of people on their side, and they all have to agree. They have, yeah. And if they disagree, then there has to be a negotiation about how to deal with what they disagree how, how about. Often do they disagree mostly. 
So I, I'm starting to get clues into my head as to why house prices might be high and why why everything in general in this country costs more. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.